and you to be their sidekick. And Proverbs is saying, when you hear these types of words and see these types of people, stay away from them. Turn your back on them. Go the other way. I love Proverbs because it is probably one of the most honest books in the Bible. Proverbs will say things like this in chapter 9. Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. I love that honesty. Good or bad, it just says... There's a thrill from stealing something from somebody. There is a charge you get from swindling someone and taking their stuff. You only get that kind of honesty from the book of Proverbs. In chapter 1, we have these, these, this gang of thugs in the alley. And listen to all the camaraderie language they use as they speak to us. Uh, they say, come and join us. Let us hide. Let us ambush the innocent. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our house with the things we've taken. Come throw in your lot with us. We'll share the loot. You belong, right? This is a gang initiation language. You will belong. All of us want to belong to something. Some of us will do almost anything to belong. And Proverbs says when they come, they'll bring this belonging language. Turn the other way. This stuff will really preach like in the inner city, wouldn't it? Urban ministry. You can do Proverbs 1, help young men, young women realize the type of language a gang uses to entice you. Try to impart wisdom so they could go the other way. Is it going to preach in the suburbs? Is Proverbs chapter 1 about a gang in an alley to ambush the unsuspecting going to preach here in the suburbs? Or should we just turn on to chapter 2? Do we have gangs of unsuspecting thugs hanging out in the alley to ambush the unsuspecting? I'm sure we have some, but to be honest, I live a mile and a half from Sonic. And my family, we walk at night in the summer down there all the time. And I never worry that we're going to get ambushed by a gang of thugs in the alley. On the other hand, last year, we needed to buy a used car. We decided we'd do this through Craigslist because we didn't want to deal with all the rigmarole of a dealership. So we went and looked at a lot of cars from people on Craigslist. And 100% of the time, in every single car we went to visit, someone was trying to cheat us. Most of them were actually just individuals employed by a dealership to hawk lot cars as if they were an individual. The ones that weren't doing that had lied about what kind of car they even had, what condition it was in, what it would cost. I wonder why in this representative sampling is 100% of the people we encountered trying to cheat us. And then I remembered when we had lost a car a few years ago, it got to a point where it wouldn't drive very far at all, undrivable. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to sell it for sal salvage and get 300 bucks for it. And someone, a Christian, told me, oh, no, you should sell it on Craigslist or from the newspaper. And the way they were describing it to me, it, it was like I wasn't going to tell people this car is undrivable. And I said, what, what if a single mom buys my car and gets it home and realizes she's stuck with it, she can't get it back out of the driveway again? And this person, a Christian, said to me, well, everybody sells used cars that way. She'll just have to be careful no matter who she's buying it from. Even a minister? <laughs> a gang of thugs 
waiting in an alleyway to ambush the unsuspecting. That's what it feels like to go out and try to buy a car. Will this preach in the Proverbs or will this preach in the suburbs? I think about teenagers and the schools that you go to where gangs of the popular pick on the unpopular, calling the unattractive fat and ugly, calling the socially awkward nerd or freak, calling the poor trashy, calling the less intelligent stupid, shoving the weak, ignoring the unremarkable. I have to think as you enter into a school, it can feel like walking into an alley where a gang of thugs is waiting to ambush you. And what about all the news that came out last year about professional sports and teams plotting to intentionally injure players, planning to hand out lifelong disabling injuries over a game? Let's listen together to a recording from an NFL locker room as one of these plans was hatched. You're here for a reason. You're here because... We saw in you, and we hope we get the right person that won't apologize for competing the way we have to compete. There may be better athletes, but not defensive football players that have to go into war tomorrow and play the way we play. A mind troubled by doubt cannot focus on this. In a fellow production business, we'll never forget about it. Where are we at right now? Got to tie the top. A lot of guys up at the top. Kill the head, the body will die. Kill the head, the body will die. We've got to do everything in the world to make sure we kill Frank Gore's head. We want him running sideways. We want his head sideways. Little 32, he has no idea what he's in for. It's a great game. It's a production business. We have Smith, right there. Remember me. I got the first one. I got the first one. Every single one of you, before you get off the pile, affect the head. Early, affect the head. Continue, touch and hit the head. They're going to come in. They're going to be shocked with our contact. They're going to be shocked with our speed. They're going to be shocked with our strength. You kick field goals, be the best defense in that stadium, remember the walkways, and remember whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, go get on that bus, right back to that airport, and get ready for the next one. Respect comes from fear. This is how you get respect in this league. We need to find out in the first two series of the game, the little wide receiver, number 10, about his concussion. We need to put a lick on him right now. He needs to stop. He becomes human. We take out that outside ACL. We need to decide on how many times we can beat Frank Gore's head. We need to decide how many times we can bull rush and we can put Vernon Davis's ankles over the pot. We need to decide. And when they are fearing us, they give us the ball. Another thing we always say in this room is never apologize for the way we compete. If you're in this room, you understand that you don't apologize. And ironically, it's a gang of millionaires hanging out, waiting to ambush the unsuspecting.
Our medical system is now under full-scale political attack, and those of you who work in the medical system know this. But some of that attack has been brought on by the system itself. Let's just talk about stitches. Stitches are a small thing, but they can make a big difference. A small wound on can kill you if it's not properly treated and closed up. My great-grandmother died opening a can of fruit and she cut her hand and it wasn't properly treated and she got an infection that killed her. So stitches can make a big difference. But does that mean you charge $300 per stitch? Cleaning a wound and stitching it up takes 15 minutes. Should it cost a single mother two weeks of her wages to have her toddler stitched up? Sometimes entering a hospital feels like entering an alley filled with thugs waiting to ambush you, but you have to go there because you want to live. Our congregation has lots of doctors and nurses and those who work in the medical profession, and God bless those of you who aren't behaving like a gang to ambush. As we're going to see in a few minutes, you're probably paying a high personal price for your integrity to be in that system and not be part of that. What about those in trades? Charging your customers for preventative maintenance that you're not really doing. People pay quarterly payments to have their equipment maintained, believing it's going to save them so much more later. But that's not what's going to happen, is it? Because no one is actually maintaining their equipment the way they think they are. Sometimes owning a business and maintaining a property can be like walking down an alley with a gang of thugs that you depend on waiting to ambush you. Rob Barr has been a friend of mine for 17 years, we were adding up the other day. And he has an experience that he'd like to share about suburban gangs and the word and wisdom of God and what God has done for him and shown him. So listen closely. What you're about to hear, you may not ever hear again, this level of honesty and disclosure. Uh, uh, Nor the miracle that comes at the end. So uh, let's welcome Rob. About six years ago, the development company I was working at collapsed, and I found myself needing a new job. After a few weeks of searching, I received an offer from a local marketing company. Uh, during the interview, I was told upfront that the majority of their business came from providing leads to payday loan companies. Normally, I might have balked, but I had a wife and six-month-old daughter to support, and the immediacy of our financial needs outweighed any moral concerns I might have had. Over the next five years, I became familiar with the ins and outs of how subprime lenders found their customers, and we were the middlemen. At first, it was easy to abstract myself from the whole process. All I did was help maintain the matchmaking system, and I figured that the leads coming in were people that wanted this service anyway, so who was I to stop them? However, that slowly changed. We had to pay the companies who provided the incoming traffic, but if we could generate our own traffic, we could sell the leads for full profit. That meant making websites for people to apply for payday loans and making them as attractive and useful as possible in order to enable them to sign on. 
for a while, there were plenty of distractions from that side of the business, and we'd try other side projects from time to time. Uh, the owner kept up the rhetoric that our goal was to go from getting 80% of our business coming from the payday loan industry to only 20%, especially when the economy tanked a few years back. It was a great platitude, but that 80% never seemed to drop. There were more websites, and then there were email campaigns that slowly got spammier and spammier. Still, though, I was able to mentally isolate myself from the facts of the business. After all, we were just a pass-through, right? Just a service provider, right? We weren't actually involved in the loans themselves. Then, about two years ago, something happened that opened my eyes. The company doubled down on the payday loan business, and we started making the software for loan companies to manage accounts. Then we managed the call centers where people got their loans approved. And then we started setting up these systems in tribal lands and obscure island nations to avoid federal regulation. Nothing technically illegal, but definitely questionable. I also got a good look at how the lenders really work. The optimal customer is not someone who can repay the loan, but rather someone who can almost repay the loan. Then the lender graciously offers to refinance the loan for a couple of weeks for an additional fee. Two weeks later, when the loan's not quite paid back, refinance again for another fee, and so on, keeping the customer dangling on the edge while taking more and more of their money. One lender whose portfolio we helped take over had the policy of eventually collecting 600%, six times the original loan in fees, and then just writing it off like it never happened. Before that, I could plead ignorance, or at the very least, go with the party line that short-term lending is a vital service that doesn't hurt anyone when used responsibly. But now I couldn't ignore how the lenders acted like wolves going after the most vulnerable members of the herd. I resolved that I had to get out, although after so many years in, I didn't know if I could. Last January, though, I, a recruiter contacted me about a position, and while I didn't get that job, it encouraged me to double my efforts, and by March, I was free. There's an interesting footnote, though. The job I did end up getting wasn't a good fit, and in early June, my previous employer contacted me, wanting to talk to me about coming back. I almost did, too. I even had a meeting set up to negotiate terms. That morning, though, during a moment of quiet contemplation, something just popped into my head. Matthew 16, 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? God found me in a moment of doubt and temptation and gave me the guidance I needed. I canceled the meeting, and I never looked back. I've since heard that the company dissolved and reformed under a different name for questionable legal reasons, so I know he showed me the right path. My name is Robert Barr, and this is my story. Very brave. While we're talking about suburban gangs, let's not forget the church, tormenting those who don't believe like us, eager to judge people who are different and not very likely to treat them like our neighbor until they join our gang 
and then we'll all be friends. Question was, will this passage from Proverbs 1 about gangs lurking in the alley to ambush the innocent preach in the suburbs, uh, it appears absolutely. It appears that we have nothing but blue and white collar gangs of thugs around, all saying to us, come join us. Let's hide. Let us ambush the innocent. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with the things we take. Come throw in your lot with us. We'll share the loot. Every day, one gang or another wants us or our children to join it. And Proverbs warns us, turn your back on them. Stay away from their path. So I read you earlier from uh, Proverbs 9:17 that said, stolen water is refreshing and food eaten in secret tastes the best. I did not read you the very next verse. Verse 18 is part of this proverb, and when read all together, it says this. Stolen water is refreshing, food eaten in secret tastes the best, but little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Proverbs says, yeah, that stolen water and that loot you swindled somebody out of, it's really super enjoyable, but pull back the camera. That alleyway where you're hiding out, it's hell. The dead are there. When you ambush the unsuspecting, you are dining with the dead. In chapter one, it said, if a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people set an ambush for themselves. They're trying to get themselves killed. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Proverbs says, when you fall in with one of these schemes, you're dumber than a bird. A bird could see this net being laid out and stay out of it. You're being shown the trap. The wisdom is telling you how they'll speak to you and what they'll ask you to do. And now says, don't fall into that trap. In Proverbs 11, it says, if you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. We need a definition of what sin really is. Sometimes we talk about sin like it is a, an arbitrary set of game rules God has given us. You're allowed to do these things and not allowed to do these things, arbitrarily chosen, so that at the end of the game, you can go to heaven. This is not what sin is. Sin is all the things God warned us about because they are bad for us. And serious sin are the things God warned us about because they destroy us and destroy our community. And this gang mentality is a serious sin. It destroys us, it destroys our community, it destroys the world. Much of what makes our world unlivable is gangs of thugs waiting to ambush the unsuspecting from alleyways, from school hallways, from locker rooms, from boardrooms. And it makes us all on the defensive, buying a car, going to school, going to the hospital, going to church. We're all on a private little war where we know everyone's out to get us. And this level of distrust and paranoia destroys the world. Instead, God gives us, in the Proverbs, a way to life. Proverbs 3.27, don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. God is kind to those who refuse to ambush the unsuspecting. 
But let's get real as we smile and whip out the flowers and unicorns. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. In an urban gang, in in an inner city gang, you can't just leave. You can't just leave the gang. You have to be jumped out. That's where they all gather around and they jump you. They beat you, they kick you. And if you survive, you can leave the gang. And if the gang leader decides you have to be boxed out, then they shoot you and you leave the gang in a box. Suburban gangs are no different. You have to be jumped out. But they don't punch you or kick you or shoot you. They sue you for breach of confidentiality. They take away your employer-based health benefits. And if you have a six-month-old daughter, that gets your attention. They deny you severance. At schools, they lump you in with the unpopular kids and start calling you all those horrible names. They break up with you. In the church, they call you a heretic. In politics, they call you wishy-washy. You've got to be jumped out of your suburban gang too. Leaving these systems will cost you something. But you have to remember that picture from Proverbs. It said, stolen water is refreshing and food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. It will cost you something to get jumped out of your suburban gang. But you are moving from death into life. Remember the words of Jesus. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They can take a lot away from you but they cannot take away the kingdom of heaven. It is yours. We will never have the strength to avoid the gangs that entice us or to leave them until we believe this. Proverbs 28, 6. Better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. Do you believe that? Better to be poor and honest than dishonest and rich. Jonas Salk was the man who developed the polio vaccine. At one point, polio was paralyzing and killing a half a million people a year. 1940s and 1950s. How many of you remember the polio epidemic? A lot. How many of you know someone who was paralyzed or killed by polio? A lot. And when he developed this vaccine, he could have asked any price for it and people would have paid it. It was the terror of the mid-20th century. So he was on a talk show after they were announcing this great scientific breakthrough and someone asked him, I have to ask you, uh, Dr. Salt, who owns the patent for your vaccine? And he shocked the world when he said, there's no patent. Could you patent the sun? He means, could you patent something that's going to give light and life to the whole world? No way. There was no patent. Anyone could make it and share it with anyone that they wanted to. Today, polio is nearly eradicated from the world and no one holds the patent. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Medical malpractice is the reason most often given for why it costs $300 per stitch. But let me tell you about a group uh, just about 10 years ago now, medical group uh, in the Northeast of the United States. 
they had a two-step malpractice policy. If a mistake was made and someone was harmed, their two steps were clam up and deny everything. From the doctor to the hospital to the insurance, clam up and deny everything was the two-step response to malpractice. But this uh, group was going bankrupt, and so the board cleared out all the leadership and brought in all new leadership, and someone suggested in the new leadership a new maverick policy. When they had a malpractice incident and someone had made a mistake and harmed, they had three steps. Step one, the doctor will contact the person directly, explain in detail what happened and apologize. Step two, the hospital would contact them and offer uh, some form of restitution either to correct the problem or to financially compensate them and the hospital would make the first offer. So they reversed their policy to this policy of admit, apologize, and make it right. Within a year, the amount they spent on medical malpractice dropped 80%. Most patients taking no recourse at all. Now, that's a little different than what I said earlier. I said being jumped out of the system would cost you something, but in this case, it saved them 80%. How many of you who run a business would like to save 80% on any of expense? Then follow Proverbs 3. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Whistleblowers. You have the power to leave the gang you've fallen in with, maybe even to blow the whistle on their evil scheme and save others. In the end, you'll sleep in peace. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. School bullies. It's too much to ask you to control an entire school. You can't do that. But you can at least back down your own group of friends. When your own group of friends is picking on a weakling, on someone who's simple, on someone who's unattractive, on someone who's poor, just to your own group of friends, you can say, this is ridiculous. Let's move on to something else. We've got better things to do than this. Let's, let's keep moving. Proverbs said better to be poor and honest than dishonest and rich, but it could have just as easily said better to be unpopular and honest than dishonest and popular. And in the church, we have the power to treat people with the love of God, even when they don't believe like us, even when they don't live how we think they should live. And in the end, we'll have more ability to tell them the good news of Jesus when we take that approach. Because the current church approach by much of the American church is people that don't agree with us, we're going to push them off the edges of the map. This has not earned us a hearing of the gospel. We'll never get to share the good news of Jesus when we're constantly trying to push people off the edge of the map. And King Jesus agrees with us. In the Gospel of Mark, he said, and, and Rob shared this, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? In Matthew, he said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Proverbs says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. And again, Proverbs says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and ensure justice to those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless 
and see that they get justice. So now I offer a prayer for all of you that you would be anointed with courage to see the gangs that are trying to entice you and to recognize them for what they are, to refuse them, to resist them, and to leave them and find the wisdom that leads to life. Last week I was telling you about this Proverbs guide and uh, every single one was taken. I was completely surprised. So we had some more printed if you didn't get one. Um, Take five is something we recommend for all groups of friends, all couples, all families to chase God's wisdom and get into our heart. Take five every day. Take five minutes and do five things. Either at dinner time, bedtime, or a ride to a practice. Um, Ask everyone in the circle, what was your high and low today? What's the best thing that happened, the worst thing that happened to you today? And then read a scripture. And this is the book of Proverbs broken up into 365 readings. So you could just open to May the 4th and it would say, my child, listen to me and do as I say. You will have a long, good life. How often do particularly kids not understand why we have so many rules for them? This would lead us to a discussion. I will teach you wisdom's way and lead you in a straight path. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. That's why we do this in our family. So highs and lows, read a scripture, ask how does that scripture relate to your highs and lows? Pray and bless one another. So these are available. We're offering these for free for every family, every couple, every group of friends have one of these to take five and get the wisdom of God inside us. Next week is Mother's Day. So do what you need to do, don't forget. And also next week, we're going to be talking about um, the wisdom about speaking seldomly, like Maybe this is just me, but do your words ever get you into trouble? Do you ever talk too much or say the wrong thing? Do you wish all your words had strings on them so after you saw how they went, you could pull them back? All right. So next week is going to be about the wisdom of speaking seldom. Uh, Let us stand together. And I'd like to say the words of benediction over you. May the fourth be with you. That was super nerdy. <laughs> We're going to need a uh, strength and a foundation to build this courage on. And this is our foundation. Let us recite it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May you go forth in wisdom.